Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another week of the Live Life Aggressive Podcast. And this week, we have a very special guest. Friend of the show, very popular download every time he comes onto the show, the man, Steve Maxwell. This time, Steve joins us. We talk about high-intensity interval training, Mike Metzer, also Arthur Jones. We also talk about when Steve trained with fitness legend Arthur Jones, as well as is there any real benefit to high-intensity interval training, and what's Steve's real opinion on that, despite what some may believe from other online articles. That and a lot more in part one of our discussion with Steve Maxwell right here on the Live Life Aggressively podcast. Also, don't forget that you can head over to both my website and Mike's website. That's MikeMahler.com and NewWarriorTraining.com. And you can use our coupon code LLA and get 10% off all of our products. And at the time that you listen to this recording, you still have time to head over to Mike's website and get 10% off of his courses that he's teaching over in Europe right now in Austria. All you have to do is type in that coupon code LLA. You get 10% off of that, as well as you will get 10% off of the upcoming IKFF CKT Certified Kettlebell Trainer Certification Course that's going down in Houston. That's May 8th, 9th, and 10th for the Level 1 and Level 2, which is going to be taught by Kim Blackburn of the IKFF, as well as myself. And you can use that same coupon code LLA and get 10% off of that as well. Just head over to the IKFF.net or IKFF.com. Click on events. Look for the certification dates for Houston. Go ahead and sign up there. Use that coupon code LLA. Get 10% off of your certification, whether it's a level one, the level two, or both. All right, folks. Now it's time to get into our discussion with Steve Maxwell. Let's talk about high-intensity interval training right here on the Live Life Aggressively podcast with Mike Mahler and Sincere Hogan. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another week. This is the Live Life Aggressive Podcast. Sincere Hogan. Mike Mahler's on the other line. What's going on, my man? I'm doing good, man. We have one of our favorite guests coming back. Actually, our most downloaded guest. Exactly. So I think our fan, he's one of our fans' there. favorite guests as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and for good reason. He's a really interesting guy. He's been around the scene forever with regards to physical training. Also very well renowned in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, martial arts in general. And it was, it's always interesting to talk to him because – Whenever you have a question about something, he'll often have a personal story about that. <laughs> yeah. So be like, you know, I read this book by Arthur Jones, and he'll be like, yeah, well, one time when I was hanging out in Arthur's house one time, and it's like, all right, <laughs> okay, all right, this is gonna be good. <laughs> you know? So he's just just a wealth of knowledge, and everyone knows who he is. It's Steve Maxwell. Steve, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm here on the island of Maui, and it's hard not to feel good when you're on Maui. <laughs> you're living a hard life, man. Yeah, the hard life, man. Yeah, I always wonder why. I always wonder why people get drunk in Hawaii. <laughs> like, why do you need to get drunk there, man? Yeah, I mean, just breathing the air makes you feel kind of uh, mellow, you know, kind of, yeah. kind of high. But you know what? There's a lot of belligerent people that are locals in Hawaii. It's well known for that street fights and so forth. That always, that I always found that really interesting as well. Probably want the tourists to go away. <laughs> yeah. Well, part of it is, I think, it just goes way back to the way Hawaiian was, uh, Hawaii was taken, Annex, you know, yeah. from the native peoples. They, there's good reason why the native Hawaiians should be resentful. They were pretty much screwed over by the American government, you know, a bunch of industrialists and businessmen, and basically, you know, the the island was basically uh, taken away from from the the peoples that had lived here, and yeah, and you know they created all these plantations and you know monsanto foods has a big uh you know uh, chunk of so i mean yeah i I can easily understand the resentment when when you see uh people with hawaiian blood that polynesian blood they uh they don't like us howies you know (laughs) but there's a good reason why yeah right So, so there is some of that you know there is definitely some of that and there is a pretty big homeless situation on the uh on the islands too 
and you know anywhere anytime you have poor people that are just scraping by there's going to be some problems you know because they're into that survival mindset so right. you know they're they're going to do whatever they think they need to do to to get by yeah and yeah. usually accompanying uh that type of poverty usually you do have people getting involved with drugs and or alcohol just to kind of just kind of escape the reality of their situation yeah yeah well hey man we didn't bring you on to talk about Hawaii, although that no, might we did. <laughs> that might be an interesting discussion. <laughs> at some topic point. right there. <laughs> but we have we have a, a topic that we just played around with a couple of weeks ago, and then we decided this would be great to have Steve come on and talk about it. Basically, we're gonna, we're going to talk about high intensity training or low volume sets training to failure. So there's been a couple different variations on this theme. Arthur Jones is the most prominent person who really supported one set to failure. Workouts done fairly infrequently. And then someone like Mike Menser, who was very famous for the heavy-duty training, famous bodybuilder, he took it a step further and decided that one set to failure a few times a week was too frequent. Let's do it once every 10 days. So we're going to talk about the pros and cons of this style of training. But, Steve, just to give us some background, how did you get involved with Arthur Jones? How did you meet up with him? Well, I had I had grown up in a little town called Carlisle, Pennsylvania, which was just down the road from York Barbell, and uh, so I cut my teeth in those old York courses and Bob Hoffman, and of course I met the you know a lot of the famous guys down there. Uh, John Grimmick was a, an amazing bodybuilder in his day, and um, I also was heavily influenced with Olympic weightlifting because York was the then mecca. So that was my start, Olympic weightlifting and old school physical culture. I call it physical culture because no one differentiated. You know, everyone uh, uh, did hand balancing and some form of gymnastics uh, along with uh, general exercise and Olympic lifting. And so the guys were pretty well rounded when it came to that. You know, they were able to demonstrate strength and then they would build strength through these uh, through the York exercise programs. But uh, as a kid, I was just voracious to find information. And Perry Rader was an early uh, pioneer in uh, strength training. He, he had a little magazine called Iron Man. Not like the big, slick, glossy Iron Man you see in the newsstand today. That was, right. he, was, he was bought out by this guy, John Bailick, back in the uh, late 70s, I believe. But the early Iron Mans were fantastic, old-school information. And there was, an, uh, there was a guy that wrote a series of articles named Arthur Jones. He had also, around the same time, had written a couple articles in Strength and Health magazine, which was a York uh, product, and uh, also Muscular Development, which was a mm-hmm. relatively new magazine back in the, uh, the late, late 60s, early 70s. And I was just absolutely fascinated with what this guy was saying. He just made some really interesting points. And he, he actually published a, what he considered a productive barbell workout, and I tried it, and I really liked it. Uh, I was wrestling at the time, so you know I was doing anything to improve my, my wrestling. And I, I just liked his whole training philosophy. It was uh, very similar to some other stuff I had tried earlier, like the old Perry Raider 20-rep uh, squat routine. Right. So uh, I just couldn't wait to try these newfangled machines I was reading about. So in 1970, uh, I heard from a guy that I had been working with that there was a new Nautilus Center that had just opened up. It was called Huff and Puff Gym at the Drexel Line <laughs> just outside of Philadelphia. That's the name so, of a business in Vegas, but it's not training related. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, this, was, uh, this was started by uh, – Two bodybuilders, John Carton and Gregory Ellis. Greg Ellis, you've you know we've talked about him before. Yeah, yeah, he's, sure. Yeah, he's a PhD now in in biochemistry. Mr. Mr. Zero Carb guy. <laughs> yeah, he was a big low carb guy. Yeah. But uh, it was his gym, so I went down, and I was you know I I walked in pretty cocky, you know, because I was wrestling varsity at uh, a Division One school, and uh, I'm thinking like I'm in pretty good shape, you know, you know. Put me through this workout, you know, almost like a challenge. Dude, they kicked my fucking ass. I was absolutely devastated. I sat for two hours before I could actually drive home. <laughs> wow. And this was all machine-based training, though. Uh, and these machines were brutal. 
And I was just utterly shocked. I thought, wow, this is a whole different level of conditioning I've never experienced. It was just all at once, strength, endurance, cardio. You know, later, uh, Jones coined that term as metabolic conditioning. Was and, this uh, uh, was this the circuit training, Steve, or you just went from one machine to the next? Yes, yeah. they basically rushed me, and I remember mm-hmm. that first workout really clear. I did the uh, I did this old hip and back exercise. You know, you you hear all about these hip thrusters and yeah. all this glute stuff. Yeah. Man, my ass cheeks were burning after I got off that old hip and back. <laughs> that, that's going to be the soundbite for the show. Right there. <laughs> really? at, at the Huff and Puff Gym. You know. Steve's going to talk about how his ass cheeks were burning at the Huff and Puff Gym. <laughs> it, it, was, it was utterly brutal. And then they, they, they rushed me over to leg extension. And then they rushed me to a, a, a barbell squat. And now, I was, just a, I was just about done at that point. And then, you know, somehow I, I kind of w- went into a delirium and made it through. Like, in those days, they had these big compound machines where you would do the pullover torso and immediately you would just reach up and there was the lat pull down. Yeah. They were yeah. making use of that old pre-exhaustion. Yeah, pre-exhaustion, uh, yeah. right. And it, it was just really utterly hard. So I, I kept going. You know, I actually uh, I didn't really have that much money in those days. So as a as a physical education undergrad, uh, I was given a part-time job, so I had access to the place and didn't have to pay. And uh, I, I got to the point where I was able to get through those circuits without, you know, uh, I mean, talk about increasing work capacity. You always hear, you know, the what what the hell effect from the yeah. kettlebells. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> the, the, uh, I got an amazing what the hell effect from this uh, Nautilus circuit training. And in truth, you know, people say the machines don't work or whatever. I was in some of the best physical condition of my life when I, um, in 1974, uh, my my NCAA Division One record was 18-2 and one dual meet, and I won MAC uh, championship that year. Hmm. So it it definitely worked for me. And people should know that uh, you know the naysayers, the 1972, I believe it was 72 or maybe 73, 73 Miami Dolphins. We're the only NFL football team to go undefeated and win a Super Bowl. And they were Nautilus trained on the same exact circuit that I was doing. So anyone that says that it doesn't work just hasn't tried it. It does work. There's a lot of things work. Everything works, right? Kettlebells work. Barbells work. Well, why, why do you think it kind of lost favor with people, though? Because it, it was at a, for a time it rose really high. And now you don't really see Nautilus in any gyms. Just too freaking hard. Huh. So hard. It was like... I would get butterflies for a couple of days before going in and, and training. If you did it the and way they showed you, right? So the way they, yeah. yeah exactly. You just go there and do three sets of five on pull downs and you wait five minutes and go to the leg extensions. That's not going to have the same level of intensity. But if you're doing it where it's a, it's a very intense circuit training, one machine to the next with no break, that was too difficult for people to keep up with. It was really difficult. Yeah. The other thing was I think there was a huge confusion between uh, demonstrating strength and building strength. Right. Uh, it was a different type of strength. You know, there's a lot of different types of strength. I mean, like we were talking earlier about strong men who roll up frying pans or, <laughs> or, or bend nails or tear decks of cards. You know, how, how could one compare that, let's say, to a guy that can deadlift over, you know, double his body weight or right. whatever? Right. You know what I mean? Who's stronger or whose hands are stronger? It's just different type of strength. Yes. Well, mm-hmm. people would go to the Nautilus and then they would go back to maybe try their bench or their squat, and they would be disappointed that they weren't able to bench as much as they could before right. or squat. And so they made they made this assumption that, oh, I'm weaker, when in reality they just lost the skill yeah. of doing the heavy bench or the heavy squat because right. there, is, there is a neurological skill. Yeah. So if you're primarily training on machines and, and don't do your pet lifts – for sure, they're going to go down. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the output or the force that your muscles are able to create has lessened. It just simply means that in that particular movement, you're not as strong anymore. And a lot of guys assume they were losing strength. The other thing was that it was really easy to overdo this type of intensity. I mean, I can remember being fucked up for days sometimes. You know. And how, how often was the frequency? Was it Monday, Wednesday, Friday? 
old buddy. Yeah, in their early days, they actually advocated. And then they advocated later, you know, just twice away. Yeah, yeah. And then, but people were finding that they still couldn't recover because, you know, I was trying to do varsity wrestling, man, <laughs> along with this stuff. And imagine that. So I, I was actually finding that once a week was working out pretty good for me. Right. And, you know, that I, I just realized that any more than that, I just couldn't recover. And I couldn't do the, you know, I couldn't practice the skills of my, my sport. And, uh, of course, later, you know, they started taking the intensity to extreme levels, like Mike Menzer with his drop sets. Mm-hmm. Uh, he 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 was he was the 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 face of the high intensity. Yeah, he did the uh, drop movement. sets, the rest pause, pre exhaustion, uh, and then uh, and then you know, f- forced reps, negatives. I mean, yeah, oh yeah, God. right, exactly. But then but then he advocated very long breaks between workouts, where up to ten to fourteen days between sessions. And my experience with that is you lose the skill. If I, if I deadlift hard on Monday and then I don't do it again for two weeks. It takes a while it's just like to get all the over. setup points. It's like yeah, I mean, over again, you know? exactly. Your setup points are all off. Your your queuing is off. I mean, I saw I, I deadlift once a week, and that's perfect for me. When I was younger, I did a little bit more, but now I'm a lot stronger in the deadlift. So I think that's also part of the equation, rather than age, is I'm using a lot more weight, so I need more recovery time. But if I go too long, such as what Menser recommended, it just didn't pan out for me. Yeah, well, here's another another point too, like. If the purpose is to lift a certain amount of weight, let's say your goal is lifting a, a particular uh, amount of weight, then for sure you need more frequent practice. There's no doubt about it. Right. right. It, it, because that's your that's basically your sport, you know. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. Being able to demonstrate particular lifts. But if you don't care about you know the actual amount of weight, but you're looking to just create that really deep level fatigue. Uh, Jones referred to it as tapping into the survival mechanism. Uh-huh. In other words, you know, you, you create that you create that alarm within the, the body's biology that's you know basically saying, "Whoa, man, I'm not able to handle this intensity, so I better get bigger." But w- what a lot of people found was that you would actually atrophy <laughs> between workouts, so you were actually losing muscular size, or at least not gaining. And a lot of people were realizing that it was better if they would do maybe uh, like a, a, a less maximal, a non-failure workout in between those really hard workouts. Right. Just to, just to prevent muscular um, atrophy from yeah. occurring. So uh, th- there was other practitioners. There was the famed Casey Viator. Yeah, who, right. Who, uh, he just died recently, as a matter of fact, a uh, heart attack. Was, wow. He was yeah, probably was, only 60s, something like that? He, uh, not even. He wow. was, uh, yeah, pretty young guy. He, and, uh, did that, he was the guy they used a lot for marketing purposes. Remember that whole Colorado experiment where, yes. where the, he gained 66 pounds of muscle in 12 days was the tagline? But they left out the part that well, it was actually been in a, tw- 12, uh, 12 workouts. It was, oh, 12 uh, workouts, was, not yeah. 12 days. Okay. Yeah. So 12 workouts is probably four weeks then, something like that, if you're looking at three workouts per week. I, th- it, I think at that point he was work. Yeah, he, he had been in a uh, canning. Uh, he, he worked in a, a machine factory. He was a young kid, he was a teenager. Yeah, and he had this part-time job and lost part of his finger in a accident. Mm. And they, he he had allergic reaction to the antibiotics that they gave him, and lost a huge amount of weight. And uh, he was down to about 166 pounds, I think. And uh, so he was basically rebuilding uh, muscle. That he had had before, yeah, which exactly. is a lot easier than building new muscle. But still, well, I was, I was laughing when, about, when Tim Ferriss Tim Ferris has a whole chapter in his book, The Four Hour Body, talking about extolling the benefits of that program. But he left all of that stuff out. <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, and you're not anyone, anyone who thinks you're going to get even close to what Casey got doing that program is going to be sorely disappointed. Well, here's the problem with all the well, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is Arthur Jones himself also uh, did the program at the same time yeah. with Casey. And there was like three other pre- people. And Jones himself gained almost 12 pounds of muscle within that short period of time. Now, once again, Jones in his younger days was a very muscular guy. If you look at young pictures of Arthur Jones, when yeah. he used yeah. to have that uh, um, that animal show. Uh, he used to be yeah. a animal, animal kingdom. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. 
he, he was like uh, he was a pretty buff guy, man. He had huge arms. Yeah. You know, he always used to like to joke that uh, he had the arms of a gorilla, but the body, the torso of a spider monkey. <laughs> you know, he, he he didn't have the genetics, you know, for the uh, the, the big lats and pecs and so forth. But man, his arms are huge. Yeah. But uh, yeah, John Jones himself gained quite a bit of muscular body weight on that same basic program. So, but see, there's always going to be high responders and low responders to every workout. Yeah. Like like for example, uh, the intermittent fasting is extremely popular right now. Right. Martin Birkin. Mm-hmm has done an amazing job at promoting his uh, dietary philosophy and his workout program. But if you notice, he's extremely picky about the people that he chooses for that particular program. Yeah, You have yeah. to apply. If you play sports or anything, you're immediately rejected. Uh, you, you have to be a particular type of person before he'll accept you. So that already increases the likelihood that the program is going to work because he's very selective about the people he picks. Yeah. Which, to his credit, I think he's doing people a favor. You know, he's not lying to people. Yeah, that's true. And and, and then, uh, you know, you only see the high responders to his program. Sure. You only see the people that were amazing. But for every guy that used intermittent fasting in the Martin Birkin program, you know, and and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, putting. Martin down. Right. This is true of every program out there. There's probably a thousand dudes that didn't get anything. Yeah. And absolutely. you never see you, you never see those. You know, Casey Vieter was he was like one in a million. Yeah. He was a genetic freak. I mean, he was doing seven freak, 700 pound leg presses to failure, then at five hundred pound squats immediately after for twenty reps. I mean if you, yeah, anyone who could do that workout, sure, you're going to get really big and strong, but you're already big and strong, you know, going, going into it. But just an interesting caveat on the intermittent fasting is show me a person who does intermittent fasting that doesn't drink a lot of coffee during that fasting period. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for Pretty sure. much yeah. every person I know who does these fasts during the day, I'm like, do you drink coffee oh, yeah, during yeah. those periods? Oh, yeah, four or five cups. I was like, try yeah. doing try doing that without any coffee, no stimulants, no pre workout stuff, no amino acids. It's a much different experience. Same thing much with a lot, different experience. Same with people who do really low carb diets, like a lot of the paleo people. They drink coffee like there's no tomorrow. Yeah, yeah they're pretty much addicted yeah, to the caffeine. Coffee becomes you know? a food group and for them, the, you know. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, my, my, my attitude is whatever nutrition plan you're on is not effective if you need coffee to get right. through the day, right. you know? Because coffee's Coffee's great. It's got a lot of benefits, but it's not real energy. No. So if you're no, relying on not. that, you're just you're just going into a deficit. And I'm sure your kidney and your kidney. Pretty much. I'm sure they're enjoying that experience during the time too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, there's, and there's a lot there's a lot of real irritating compounds in coffee, and for some people, it's it's yeah. just a real chemical irritant. Right. But uh, mm-hmm. b- back to the high intensity. Uh, sure. You know, of course, Dorian Yates was another guy that oh, yeah. was a Mike Menser's disciple. So there's plenty of examples of people that have used the high-intensity model. But what people were finding, including myself, was that it was just too damn intense. They took it too far, and it was too hard to recover, yeah. you know? So people started modifying it. One of the people I really respect a lot in the business is this guy, Drew Bay, who has been, you know, he's he has a real scientific mind. And... Um, what, what uh, another guy was this uh, Dr. Richard Wynette. He has the uh, agelessathlete.com. He's an old school bodybuilder in his 70s now. Still yeah, right. freaking great. Uh, he writes, he writes, he has a uh, the master trainer newsletter that um, I, I highly recommend for guys over 50. At, at any rate, he, he's been really looking at this from an aging point of view. And, uh, uh, well, even even Ori Hoffmeckel had just said recently that he 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 thinks it's really important to, uh, for older guys in particular to train their muscles to paralysis is the way he said it. Another way of just saying you know muscular failure. So I, I think there is a place for training the muscles really really hard, but I I think that doing the drop sets and the forced reps and the negatives is taking it way too deep. And you're just not going to be – the average person is not going to be able to come back from that just just too much. I also think you're not going to look forward yeah, to training yeah. either. You know, once you go through – No, no, you don't. Yeah, you're the last – you get through it on Monday and you're like, man, i got to do that again <laughs> on Wednesday. You know? No, it's uh, it's definitely not an enjoyable form of training <laughs> at all. And But the cool thing about it is it is infrequent. It's very brief. Yeah. You, know? you don't need much more than 20, 25 minutes you know, at most. 
you don't need to really do it much more than you know every three to five days, depending on your you know your ability to recover. Right. So for a lot of really really busy people that you know have like just these crazy schedules, it can be a real boon. When I ran my gym exercise in Center City, Philly, Philadelphia, I, we were the first super slow certified uh, uh, gym in 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 the United States, actually. Yeah, super and, uh, slow. Super slow was another variation on this theme. Right? Yeah, it, it ba- basically it was uh, uh, engineered by this guy Ken Hutchins, who yep. worked for Nautilus Medical Sports Industry, and it, it was originally invented for osteoporotic uh, women. Uh, they would just get hurt all over the place uh, at uh, at this university hospital where he was training them, and he couldn't keep these these people from injuring themselves. So he he started just getting rid of all the momentum and really slowing the rep speed down. And uh, he started having a lot of success with getting these people healthy again and, you know, building some strength without injuring themselves. Then he started to apply it to other people. He says, well, if it works for these people, what would happen if we applied the slow training to just regular healthy populations? And they started, you know, he got got some pretty significant results. There's no doubt that training slow-mo can give you tremendous strength. And it is a very safe way to train. Once again, not pleasant. Interestingly enough, when I was uh, training with the Spetsnaz guys in Moscow, they really favor super slow, I mean, like 30-second reps uh, with their push-ups and their squats. Mm. Yeah, I know. Crazy, huh? <laughs> uh, they, but they do it more as a way of controlling panic and mm-hmm. fear and uh, a way of controlling uh, breathing and right, right. Uh, breath control. Yeah. But, uh, there, but there's been a lot of variations in the slow training. Uh, but for the most, Mike Menser favored uh, uh, four four. Yeah, that's four right. Seconds up, four second four seconds negative. Yeah. 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 Sometimes with a two second pause in the most contracted position. Uh, I mean, for sure, uh, you know, two two is fine. You know, you don't need to go much slower than that. Yeah. But I do, I do find that varying the rep speed uh, is a real good training modality. Sure. Yeah. yeah, Charles Poliquin's huge on that, just controlling tempo. Uh, yeah, and that's something that people don't even look at half the yeah. time. It's not really so much how you lift the weight. I mean, not so much how much you lift, but you know how you lift it. That is really yeah. the key. It's that form and that technique. And now, a lot of these kids, though, does super slow training carry over back to regular rep speed? So in other words, if I'm doing a bench press with a 10 second negative, five second concentric, and then I go back to testing bench press where I want to lift it as fast as possible, do you lose that skill set? Generate that power, explode? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, that's, a, that's an interesting point because, you know, moving a weight fast is a skill unto itself. Yeah. And... Uh, a lot of people were finding that it didn't actually uh, – it wasn't as intense as, as maybe going a little bit faster, especially from a mechanical point of view. Drew Bay pointed that out in his website that uh, you know, after he would finish a, a set of uh, leg presses with the, you know, the, the 10-10, uh, just as a, an experiment, he, he, he tried you know, doing the same weight faster, and he should have been exhausted, right? And he was still able to like rep out with a slightly <laughs> faster right. speed, which showed that well maybe he, he wasn't getting as deep 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 a level of fatigue as 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 he thought. I mean the problem is you're going so much lighter too, right? So if I'm using if I can bench press 300 pounds fast and I'm going super slow, I may have to drop it down to 185 200 pounds, right? So you lose the feeling of controlling a much heavier weight. A lot a lot of lifting heavy weights is psychological. You know once you get used to lifting really heavy deadlifts. You can work on speed with a much lighter percentage, 70%, to drill in your technique and all that. But if you go too long without that feeling of grabbing a heavy weight off the ground, you just psychologically are just not there. You try to rip it off the ground, it feels, you feel like your back's about to break in half. Well, you just give up. Like, you know, what does it require well, as well by going super slow? Whereas we're going fast, you got to fire up so much more. And like you said, you got to really dial yeah, it in. Exactly. You, like, like you said, neurologically, you're more in tune when you're going fast because it's either focus or you're going to screw up and hurt something. <laughs> you know, where you kind of turn things off when you're going slow, man. Yeah, it's more it's like exactly. meditation almost when you're going that slow. You know? It's like a form of yo- almost like a form of yogi. Yeah, exactly. Training, right, yeah. right. And but I'll tell you, for a lot of older population, mm-hmm. you know, oh yeah, it's great that for that. have yeah. injuries. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's – and there's no doubt you can get stronger and more muscular using slow rep speeds. Sure. But as far as actually increasing your ability to lift uh, heavier weights, mm-hmm. no way, man. You know, it, it's like like you said, Mike, about the psychology. One, one of the techniques that uh, I learned from, from, from uh, the Russians was to hold a really, really heavy weight, right? Right. Maybe let's say you're doing a kettlebell press. So – Maybe you have never been able to press the 24 kilogram. So you'll take like a 40 and just hold it in the rack position. Right. Maybe for yeah, 10 seconds, holds, almost yeah. as if you're going to press yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you put it down and then shake it out, rest for a minute. And then you grab the 24. Oh, my God. Sometimes yeah, it's incredible. It'll just- It'll just fly right up there. I used to have people do that at my courses all the time, actually, and it was it was a great psychological breakthrough for them because just as you said, just psychologically, it feels so much lighter. Nothing has happened. I mean, your body hasn't changed at all, but your mind has. (laughs) You know, you're going from something heavy to something light. It just if if you just pick up the 24 right away, that may feel heavy, but if you're picking it up after picking up something much heavier, it feels much lighter now. And so you know the old saying: if if you want to make heavy weight. Uh, feel easy just pick up something heavier right, you know? yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and you know a lot, a lot of deadlifters use you know uh, rack holds near the top you know where they'll yeah. actually do like just you know move it a few inches like uh, a weight much much yeah. heavier than the normal right. i used to use it uh, back in the day when i was still really into the heavy barbell squats uh, i would load the bar up like uh, well over 100 pounds more than my best squat and i would just take it off the rack and just bend my knees a few inches and just do, you know, just a, a few seconds of basically supporting it and just very gently unlocking and relocking the knee. Yeah. Re-rack it, wait for a couple minutes, and go back and take my regular weight. All of a sudden, man, psychologically, yeah. it, felt yeah. like it was like nothing, man. Nothing at all. That brings so, up an, another variation of this whole high-intensity training is power factor training. Remember that? Yeah, which is very similar to what you're just talking about. This was basically partial ranges of motion. So you would do instead of doing a heavy overhead press full range, you would just basically pull it down one inch from lockout. Right. So you're not holding it. You're not locking out a heavy weight and just holding it there. You're lowering it about maybe an inch and then you're holding it there for five, ten seconds and then you're racking it. Yeah, it was a guy by the name of John Little. Yeah, John Little. Uh, that's came, right. came up with that. He, he's a he's also a biography. He wrote an awesome book about uh, Bruce Lee and Bruce Lee's training. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That is a good book. And uh, it, but at any rate, the the problem with that power factor training is the excessive amount of weight that you need. Yeah, exactly. And I, I always thought it was a mistake to load the. He was big on loading the uh, limbs in their strongest position. Yeah. I. Uh, have become a big fan of loading in the weakest position right for isometrics and or static holds isometrics are making a huge comeback by the way they're called time static contractions and like when i was a kid back in the 60s isometrics were huge and of course the great bruce lee was a huge fan of isometrics did a lot of isometric training and talk about super slow i mean you don't get any slower than just not (laughs) right right right? And, but I'll tell you, I, I, I've had great, great experience with isometrics, uh, especially in mixed martial arts, wrestling, jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Man, your static strength is so important. But other sports yeah. like yeah. like uh, rock climbing, uh, gymnastics, sure. you know, that static strength is really important. Yeah. But uh, I, I've, uh, there's a new protocol called time static contraction where you basically – Put your 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 um, your limbs in the mid range movement, and you hold it for a prolonged period of time, mm. uh, up up to ninety seconds. That's a long Ooh, contraction. Yeah, I, I found that for myself personally, because my neuro uh, neurological efficiency, I do a little bit better at sixty seconds. But you divide divide the movement into three parts uh, psychologically. Let's say, for example. Uh, I'm going to do a 60-second uh, – well, let's take a real simple exercise. Let's say a bicep curl. My arms are bent about 90 degrees right in that mid-range where the, where I'm weakest, and I begin to ease into the contraction over five seconds, just slowly ease into it. And then I go as hard as I dare for the next uh, 15 seconds because you can, you, know, you can hurt yourself if you contract too hard. Yeah. And then the next – by that point, my strength is eroded to the point where I can contract harder without hurting myself. Now I go as hard as I possibly can. Yeah. 
And then that last 20 seconds, you're basically just surviving, man. You're just trying to hold on. And wow, it is an amazing workout. And you can get some pretty decent hypertrophy yeah, out of that. Okay. So yeah. it's, it's, it's another way to train, you know. You can add these time static contractions in. You don't even need equipment. Yeah. But, you know, there's a difference between a time static contraction isometric versus a hold, you know, holding a weight. Like um, the old York Power Racks that was real popular also back in the 60s where uh, they, you would set a pin and uh, and you, let's say, for example, you're doing upright row and you're standing there with the uh, – with 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 the barbell loaded about mid chest, and you grip the barbell and you pull it up off the lower pin, up to the upper pin and hold it against the upper pin as long as you possibly can. That's that's a time to hold. So it's, they're both isometric strength. One you can measure and one you can't. But the problem with the you know the problem is you need a power rack yeah. and a barbell. Yeah, so. right. You know, isometrics can pretty much do anywhere. But, yeah, there's there's a lot of athletes that have been using isometrics for a long time. Uh, I, th- I think the problem – I mean it's not really a problem. It's just more of a fact with these different styles of training is that you're going to get good at whatever you do. So if you do exactly. something such as power factor training, you'll you'll make progressions within the paradigm of power factor training. But if you try to go back to a full range motion, it's not going to carry over. You know, you don't get good at full range unless you're doing full range. Unless, and maybe sometimes people get these little what the hell effects just because they gave a movement a break and did something else for a couple of weeks, and then they came back. They're like, "Oh, I'm stronger now." So yeah, you're probably stronger because you burned out that motion to oblivion. You finally gave yourself a break doing something else, and now you're coming back well, and you're yeah, fresh. Yeah, coming again. back more dialed in on that move. Whereas before they were doing it so much that just you know no longer focused on it. You know, just kind of being very unconscious right, and just right. going through the motions. Right. Exactly. Well, well, here, here's an interesting thing about these isometric, these prolonged holds. See, back, back when I started in the 60s, they used to advocate only six to ten second holds, right? Right. And then uh, – and it was found that you only got strong at maybe 15 uh, degrees in either uh, side of whatever angle that you were contracting it. Okay. But with the prolonged static contractions in the mid-range – uh, this tests have shown that you get full range strength. You you indeed get full range strength. Okay, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, you you end up recruiting uh, all, all of the muscle fibers over time, which think- brings us to an, another interesting uh, point. Something that I've been, uh, you know, uh, somewhat outspoken about, and it kind of puts me in a pickle with the kettlebell conundrum <laughs> because uh, I I don't I don't like uh, I don't like explosive training. I don't think that it's necessary to develop explosivity for sports. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm an Olympic lifter, of course I have to explode. If I am, uh, you know, in a sport like where I'm throwing uh, an implement or mm-hmm. something like that, you know, I, I do need explosive power. But I don't believe that weight training explosively builds that power i think doing the skill itself is what yeah, builds exactly. that right. so just power. giving us some examples if you're doing for first so for an example an olympic power clean you don't feel would help in football with just attacking your opponents or in mma with a more explosive takedown something along those lines you feel like doing those exact moves would be more precise exactly yeah. you the the power clean is definitely a a tough exercise there's no doubt i used to do them a lot uh you know, when I was younger. Yeah. But I found that, man, the injury prevention, uh, the, the injury pr- potential for yeah. those lifts was great. I, I can remember hurt myself a few times doing those heavy power cleans. Yeah. You know, the, it was almost like a, a form of whiplash in my, my back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, really, I, I really messed myself up. Did you, did, and, you feel, did you feel your technique was optimal during that time or it was just well, – well, I had been trained by the great Robert Bernarski in Olympic okay. weightlifting yeah. down at York Barbell. I, I knew good technique, but, you know, fatigue does strange things <laughs> yeah. to you. Know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes even even if you're if you're just off just a little bit, that's the problem with all these things. Yeah. What's, but, what's the risk that, versus reward, right? So what do you yeah. – is what is what you're getting out of it so significant that it's worth whatever risk is inherent with it? But at that time, you know, uh, because I was into wrestling, I'll use wrestling as an example. I was into, you know, I had a really good high crotch single and a double leg takedown. I was very explosive. But I didn't find that I lost any explosivity 
getting rid of this power cleanse. As a matter of fact, I found that the best my shots ever were were created from just doing the shots over and over and over. And I found that, you know, things like the power clean or, you know, the Olympic uh, snatch uh, or whatever, uh, power snatches, they're, they're a thing unto themselves. You get good at those particular exercises, but they don't translate into explosivity in other skills. They're a skill right. unto themselves. Yeah. But, I mean, people say, well, look at this Olympic <laughs> lifter. Look at his fantastic physique. Look how explosive he is. Yes, of course. He is explosive. But what is in he that doing context? Yeah. In that context. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you look at someone like Alexander Kirillin, right, who's probably the greatest wrestler of all time, yeah. the Russian guy, I remember looking into his training a while back, and I expected to see a lot of explosive motions, and I couldn't find any. I don't know if you did, Steve, or Sincere. I don't know if you ever researched this guy, but I couldn't find anything. It was a, it was a lot of resistance band work. It was carrying work, carrying logs, yeah. doing a lot yeah. of variations of, of pull-ups. Str- yeah. Strength, yeah. endurance type but, stuff. Right. I did. I did see a montage where he was doing some power cleans. Okay. Actually. Okay. <laughs> but uh, it didn't seem to be a big part of his training. You know, the uh, the Russians were famous for you know cycling mm. their training and going into different phases. Yeah, that's right. And uh, you know, it's funny. I was I went to Novosibirsk in Russia. Uh, that uh, Alexander Karelin is the the uh, like the governor mm. of that area. Oh, really? Yeah. Or. Uh, it's some type of political. I don't know whether he's the mayor or the governor of that area. Yeah, but, uh, he's he's a he's a he's a real good friend with uh, Putin, and uh, I was in his city, and uh, I actually saw him at the airport. He 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 flies to Moscow quite frequently on his own private uh, chartered plane. Is he still and, uh, still a pretty jacked guy? Or what dude, he, he looked. He he was a scary. Oh, he's a right. pretty formidable yeah, exactly. looking guy. <laughs> Oh, man. That's a scary I, dude, yeah. man. He's the, he's the experience. Amer- Amer- America's strategy to beat him was to get Roland Gardner, a guy who was so big and fat that even Carillon couldn't pick him up. <laughs> and, then, you know, and then Carillon made one mistake. The other guy got a point, and then Carillon just didn't have enough time to get the points back, and then he lost. But I hated it, to see him lose like that. Cause I but was it was kind of a joke of a loss, though. It wasn't like he got his points checked at all. You know? but that, but, that it was, was funny when Carillon tried to pick him up. And throw him, he couldn't do it because the guy was so big. I mean, really, Gardner was like 400 pounds, and and Carillon was used to just throwing people around. Like, he threw Jeff Blatnick around when Blatnick was competing, and Blatnick was a big guy. And I remember Blatnick in an interview said that when Carillon put his hands around him and was about to flip him, he's like, I can't believe this guy's about to flip me. You know, and then he did it. But Ruling Gardner, forget it. But the, the, the training that, a guy would, like him would do would be very sports specific. Yeah, he would. Yeah. He he actually practiced for many many repetitions, actually lifting human beings off the ground with that gut wrench move that they use, and doing that Which particular throw. I mean. <laughs> I mean, you yeah. actually pick a human so, being up, I mean, like from his neck and his ankles, you know, like a barbell, and then just snatch him straight up in the air. I mean, it doesn't make yeah. any sense. <laughs> so, so I, 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 t- I tell, yeah. but I tell the, I tell these kids, you know, like if, if you want to develop explosivity, then practice the skill as close to match or game conditions as you can, and forget about the explosive barbell training. I just think it's too easy to get hurt. And as you get older, it, it's even more so. You just don't – I mean, injuries now, at my age now, in my 60s, man, it just takes too long to get, come back from. So for me, any type of explosive lifting is, you know, it's just, it's just not a good thing at all. You cannot afford those type of injuries. But I think even for young guys – I, I think you can get all the benefits. You can recruit all the muscle fibers, slow, fast, everything, just by training your muscles to momentary failure. I've never seen any evidence to um, uh, to the contrary that that can't be true. Now, I, I will say this. Towards those last couple of repetitions, let's say in a failure set, yeah. you're, you are trying to move the weight as absolutely fast as possible. That's something that people don't get, yeah. even with super slow. You're, in, you're you know you're pushed to like those last couple of reps where you're barely making it. You're still trying to move the weight as absolutely fast as possible, but at that point, you know you're so fatigued that 
the weight is moving really, really slow. So you're, you're still tapping into that neurology of, of, of moving the weight as fast as you can. Now, you don't feel that lifting really heavy where those last repetitions are slow, even though the intent to move it is fast. You don't feel that slows someone down. So that's not going to take away someone's speed or make them slower in whatever their sport is. Oh, no, not at all. Okay. Heavy lifting is fantastic. But, I mean, it's not, it's not really the weight. You know that, that's the key. It's the it's the intensity right. and the time under load. You know, and you know from a hypertrophy point of view, which becomes a real problem with guys my age. You start to get in that age related sarcopenia, and you you really just start losing muscle mass like crazy. You know, in that last decade uh, between your your mid sixties to seventy, that's usually when it occurs in most men. Yeah. yeah. Uh, even more reason to keep the uh, the old T levels up, but. Uh, yeah, it, uh, you. I think bodybuilding training at that point, some hypertrophy training, is really important for, okay, you, yeah, for guys my age, so that you can keep, you can prevent that age-related uh, uh, muscle yeah, loss. Yeah, you see a lot so of I, negatives of gravity. No, no uh, I was ahead, about to ask Steve, and he just answered the question for him because I was like, okay, what do you suggest for guys who start to get a little bit more up in age, and what would be the best training for them? Because I'm pretty sure they were like thinking, like, well, damn, man, what am I supposed to do? Just sit here? <laughs> yeah. Well, damn, Steve, you're taking away all my choices, well, man. Well, damn. <laughs> now, a lot of older well, people, they they just start sagging yeah. so much because they've lost. They, I mean, they never had yeah. too much muscle to start with if they didn't work out. They just had whatever they had naturally. But if you don't do any activities to build it, and then as you get older, keep it. You see gravity taking its yeah. the negative effects or, of yeah. gravity, where you're basically being pulled yeah, to. The or ground. they start thinking. They start well, thinking called, at that age. You know, they, they haven't been that active and awesome. Well, since I'm older now, I'll just walk. And you think that you think walking <laughs> yeah. is going to be the only thing that yeah. saves them at this point. Like no, walking is transportation. Exactly. But the uh, yeah, I mean, it's called creeping Mm -hmm. obesity. Uh, A lot of people will actually not even gain Mm -hmm. weight, but their percent body fat will go up and up and up because as the muscle shrinks, the layer of fat around the muscle gets thicker. So some people, you know, they brag, "Oh, I'm still the same weight as I was in high school," (laughs) but yet their percent body fat is way higher. Than it was when they were when they were younger, but um, there's a there's a guy that uh, was pretty influential, uh, uh, Dr. Ellington Darden. Yeah, sure. He he, he was the guy that I had met, and he, he's been in the business well more than half century. Oh yeah. And uh, has done diet and fat loss. He just created a real interesting uh, program uh, called Negative Accentuated Training, where you're basically only doing three 30 second repetitions. That talk about super slow. And you do a negative over 30 seconds. Let's say, for example, a chin-up. You start at the top, and you very slowly lower yourself down in 30 seconds. Oh, and the bottom, oh, it, dude, for some people, that would be the workout. You start counting fast. One, five, two, three, ten, four, five, five seconds. Right, I'm good. <laughs> it, really, it really helps to use a uh, – I usually use a metronome oh, when yeah. I use this. You know, so I can hear the uh, the yeah. the ticks to to yeah. time it, yeah. and then you very slowly reverse to the bottom, and over thirty seconds you pull yourself back up, and then you try to do that last negative. It's a very brutal way of training, but he has had unbelievable success with getting people of all ages, even people well over fifty, to lose body fat and gain muscle simultaneously, and. Uh, uh, it's pretty. For, let's say, for example, a person couldn't do 30, 30, 30. Uh, a lot of times he'll start 15, 15, 15, or 20, 20, 20. Yeah. And you just add like uh, five seconds each time you're successful. And once you can do 30, 30, 30, you increase the amount of weight and then you drop the time back to 20, 20, 20. Right. So you are getting uh, double the time uh, under tension of negative training versus positive training so that's why they call it the negative emphasized training and uh he claims that the 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 negative emphasized training uh creates demands in your body unlike any other type of training metabolically mechanically and so forth hormonally and uh really lends itself to fat loss programs i've been experimenting with a lot of clients and have had really good success getting Mm. people pared down even just using uh real crude uh you know, uh, exercise equipment 
Uh, in some cases, even just body. Yeah, I was just training. about to say that it reminds me a lot and of the bar stars guys and all those guys. You train with? I, I, I think you trained with a couple of those guys before. I remember seeing a video on YouTube with them, and they do a yeah, lot of that stuff. Yeah, I, I did up in New York, Washington Heights. Yeah, they man. do a lot of slow and a lot of static yeah. stuff too. You know, but uh, they're they're more about the the feats of oh, daring yeah, yeah. do and stunts <laughs> yeah. and such. But uh, yeah, for normal people though, the 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 really. Uh, the negative emphasis training can be good. Um, for some people, though, they just don't have the neurological coordination to move that slowly without, uh, you know, kind of doing a start-stop type thing. Yeah, right. Being herky-jerky. They, they, so, lowered, uh, they lowered themselves in three seconds. Then the very last part, part range of motion, <laughs> they count their yeah. 20. You know? It ends up being more of a static hold right before or the lockout or right back. People, it's just so. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're thinking about other things, even when they should be focusing on that at the moment. So to sit there and do that for thirty <laughs> seconds and creeping down a bar like that, they're thinking like, "Okay, this sucks. Why am I doing this? I don't understand why. I should just go ahead and drop now." <laughs> oh man, why is my heart rate up? I think I'm gonna die. My arms above my head. My heart rate. So all that's going through their head. Next thing you know, they collapse anyway. They just fall off the bar and they're like, "What, what just happened?" <laughs> you know. So they just turn up things off. <laughs> I think so, it would be, I think it would be interesting to throw some of that in the yeah. mix, right? Rather than. I wouldn't overhaul my whole program and do that. But, for example, I'm doing a lot of ring pull-ups these days. So just as a variation there, I could do some of these slower sets just for fun. You definitely, well, you get, know, a, you definitely get a big oh, pump yeah. doing it. You know? So if that's something if that's oh, something you enjoy, yeah, if that's something you enjoy where your lats just blow up and your arms are huge, yeah, I mean, try, try doing some of these at the end of your workout just as a finisher. Well, it's, it's definitely a good hypertrophy uh, stimulant, you know, especially, like I say, for, for the older population. And it's certainly safe. It's hard right. to hurt yourself from moving that <laughs> right. slow. But Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of the Live Life Progressive Podcast. Part one of our interview with Steve Maxwell on high-intensity interval training. Be sure to check out part two where Steve talks more in depth about why he's not a fan of training explosive exercises for sports-specific skills, as well as the concept of periodization and also where the term metabolic conditioning truly came from. Also, what particular exercise protocol is making a big comeback and why you should include it in your training right now? All that coming up on part two of our discussion with the man, Steve Maxwell. Also, head over to both of our websites, newwarriortraining.com and mikemahler.com. Type in the coupon code LLA whenever you purchase any of our products, as well as sign up for any of the courses in which we're teaching, and you will receive 10% off. That's big savings, folks. That goes for any of the courses that Mike's teaching over in Europe right now, as well as the upcoming IKFF certification that's going down in Houston, taught by Kim Blackburn with myself on the assist. So, again, that coupon code is LLA. Also, become a patron of the show. Support this show. Become a part of this show by heading over to Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash LLA podcast. And make a monthly contribution to the show to help us keep this bad boy running smoothly. And kind of keep all those ads off the freaking show, man. So we don't sound like all those other podcasts where every five minutes you've been interrupted by some sponsor. Just go over there to Patreon.com slash LLA podcast. In that donation box, erase that number one and start off with a $5 donation or whatever more that you want to add to that. And that helps us with the production cost of the show and also helps us keep this thing going. We truly appreciate all our patrons that are already signed up and supporting our show on a monthly basis. So that's what's going down. So we'll catch you on the next episode, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.